let's address the elephant not in the room tonight. <laughs> that and more, I suspect. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Not scared. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Not scared, though. Yes, I'm stuck in That may the mean the Republicans you. don't want my vote. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard. On KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. Up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast and 106.7 FM KSO in Cozy Cottage Grove. Out in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI. Out in Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. And smack dab in the middle of Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Also coast to coast and around the globe, streaming on the Progressive Voices channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation. Radio or not, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Nashville, and many others, including... Radio Sputnik, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us for what will no doubt be yet another action-packed, thrilling adventure. Because, well, on Thursday night, it was the final GOP debate before the Iowa caucuses on Monday and the usual bizarre spectacle of this season's GOP debates was made even more insanely strange on Thursday night by Donald Trump's refusal to uh, appear at that debate after Fox News, the debate sponsor, made fun of Donald Trump in an official press release. And they really did. They really did make fun of him. Uh, Begging the question... Is Fox News a real media outlet? Of course, I'm just kidding. It's not a real media. Well, it's not a real news outlet. We know that all along. And of course, they wouldn't have a real news outlet would never have done that. That said, uh, it was just all really bizarre with Trump not showing up and uh, holding his own competing event at the very same time, supposedly as a fundraiser for veterans. We'll talk about that in a moment with my guests. The uh, Trump-free debate was the second lowest rating, lowest rated Republican presidential debate this election cycle, according to the initial Nielsen ratings. Also, the debate was one of the lowest rated forums to date. Uh, I say although it was uh, one of the lowest rated form, uh, forums to date, far more people watched the debate than tuned in to Trump's competing fundraiser, for veterans, only about a quarter of the number of homes that watched the uh, debate on Thursday watched CNN and MSNBC's coverage of Trump's event a few miles up the road. Nonetheless, as Reuters notes, Trump received almost twice as many mentions on social media during his competing event than he received during the first hour of the last Republican debate on January 14. Man, this is all kind of crazy. And Trump continues to absolutely dominate in the meantime uh, in the pre-election polls. He dominates the 
huge GOP fields still in both Iowa and New Hampshire and, of course, nationally. In the meantime, over on the Democratic side, it's really anybody's guess as we head into the caucuses in Iowa on Monday uh, after Bernie Sanders had been leading Hillary Clinton in a number of polls in the Hawkeye state of late. A new poll out just today from PPP, which has gotten a lot of these calls right in uh, recent years, by the way. Uh, they have Clinton leading Sanders by eight points in Iowa. Uh, she has a solid lead, according to this new poll from public policy polling released on Friday. PPP shows uh, Clinton at 48 percent among Iowans likely to attend the Democratic caucuses. And therein lies the rub. Who will actually attend? Who has attended before? Will Sanders be bringing out new uh, uh, caucusers that haven't showed up in the past? In any any event, she's at 48 percent. He's at 40 in this new poll. Most notably, however, is Martin O'Malley now with 7 percent in this PPP poll on the Democratic side. You may say, well, who cares? He's not even close. And that is true. But the way the Iowa caucuses work is that at each site, if a candidate does not meet the uh, threshold of viability, which is essentially 15 percent support, then their supporters must uh, choose one of the other candidates who are considered to be viable. So 7% going for Martin O'Malley, if that 7% goes to one or the other of the uh, other candidates, Clinton or Sanders, that could be enough to put one or the other over the top. Right now, O'Malley supporters, uh, according to this PPP poll, when it asks about their second choice, they prefer Sanders to Clinton by a huge margin. So that could be the difference. In any event, going into Monday, we got a jump ball on the Democratic side uh, of the aisle. But it was the Republicans who were sucking up most of the oxygen over the past 24 hours or so in Iowa. And to talk about all of the above, I want to welcome my all-star, smartest ever, super-duper, all-American, patriotic panel of greatness, uh, beginning with our returning champion, Heather Digby-Parton, is here. She is uh, otherwise known as Simply Digby from Digby's Hullabaloo blog. She's also a contributing writer at Salon, recipient of the Hillman Foundation Prize, and uh, one of the co-founders of the venerable Blue America Pack, which has endorsed Bernie Sanders, though Heather has not personally endorsed uh, uh, Bernie Sanders, at least last we talked. Is that still correct? That Heather. is still correct. All right. Good. <laughs> I, I ain't endorsing. You, you ain't? Are, are you planning I, on uh, doing so this year, by the way? I will endorse the yeah. Democratic candidate. That is that. I promise you I will do that. So you're <laughs> saying... I am not going to endorse in the primary. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't do that. Uh, you know, it's like I go back to the beginning when I first started blogging during the, you know, the, the Dean campaign. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I was so traumatized by the experience <laughs> that I decided that I would never do it again. Really? And I have never done it again. Yeah, I just, unless, uh, there could be, I shouldn't say I would never do it again. There there could be a, a case in which I found the front runner or, you know, to be so uh, abhorrent mm-hmm. that I couldn't possibly endorse them. But that just hasn't happened. I looked in 2008, Obama and Clinton were both acceptable to me this time. Both uh, Sanders and Clinton are acceptable to me, and you know, for a variety of different reasons, I would find either one to be uh, 
inspiring and uh, exciting as as a nominee. So it's to me this is a it's a it's an abundance of riches on the Democratic side, and I'm uh, I'm happy to support either one. Very good. Uh, our uh, our other guest on the panel today haven't had him here for a while. Good to have him back, John Amato, founder of the great and infamous. CrooksAndLiars.com, which Time Magazine has described as one of the best blogs in the nation, and I agree. He's also, by the way, one of the co-founders of the Blue America Pack, along with Heather Digby-Parton. Uh, hey, John, welcome back to the broadcast. Are, are you are you now more in the tank for Bernie at this point than Heather is? Good to be with you, Brad and Heather Digby-Parton. Yes. You know, I, I come from the same school as, as Heather does, which is um, I, myself, and for my website, we do not endorse any, any Democratic candidates during the primary. And um, I, I wasn't actually blogging or writing back in when Dean, you know, my site hadn't started yet with the Howie Dean phenomenon. But, um, but I just, early on, um, you know, because my site attracts, you know, all progressives and Democrats. And I didn't want to turn it into, um, you know, one or the other and mm-hmm. have people fight about it. And I just, I, I found that whole thing odious, to be quite honest with you. I don't like uh, the primary fights between, you know, in our, on our side, you know, pro- good progressives battling other progressives over pretty minor stuff at times. So oh. I've never endorsed the candidate. And as, as Heather said, unless there was... Um, something out of the norm, you know, I would never get involved in the in the Democratic primary as far as an endorsee. Oh, you're both a bunch of cowards. Let me say <laughs> that uh, that I, on the other hand, also am not endorsing any particular <laughs> candidates here. You cowards! Yes, I am. Uh, no, in truth, as, uh, as I've told folks many times, I don't endorse candidates at all on any side of the aisle because I end up fighting for voters, whoever they may be fighting for, since there's enough people out there endorsing candidates, supporting candidates, not enough supporting just the voters and their right to vote and have their vote counted accurately and so forth. That's my position. Uh, also joining us uh, today, of course, is our producer, Desi Doyen, uh, she is here as well. Uh, Des, are, are you planning on uh, selecting anybody this year? No, so you can stop asking me. Oh uh, no, I won't stop <laughs> no, asking. I you. Know, I'm only kidding. Um, no, actually, um, I'm very similar to to Heather on this one. That you know, I I was sort of traumatized by the primary wars between Obama and uh, Clinton <laughs> during the 2008 uh, campaign, and it was just it got so rancorous and so awful that you know I just prefer to let everybody do all their talking. And if and when there are still viable candidates for us to vote for when it comes to California, then I'll make a choice. Uh, fair enough. All right, before we get to the uh, GOP debate and the Trump event, uh, we did not do a, a dedicated show on the broadcast uh, to the Democratic Forum that was held on uh, Monday. It was decidedly not a debate, but a uh, uh, sort of a one-after-another town hall Q&A type uh, uh, format on CNN on Monday. Uh, thanks to the strict limits that the DNC has placed on actual debates for its presidential candidates so far this year, that will have been the last public gathering of all three of these Democratic candidates in the same place before voters uh, start caucusing in Iowa unless, well, I was going to say unless the, a new debate is added, but that will be uh, next week if that happens 
after Iowa, before New Hampshire. So uh, this is it. I, I, let me let me go to both of you guys here. Um, uh, Heather, do you have uh, any thoughts on on that Democratic forum in Iowa on Monday, and, and what it may or may not mean for the for the race at this point? I, I have no idea what it means for the race. Um, I suspect not much. Um, mm-hmm. I think that the the emphasis has shifted away, probably in the Republican side as well. Although they have a very different dynamic with Trump in it. But you know, the Democratic race is a much more kind of, you know, it's a it's a it's a more traditional style of mm-hmm. primary uh, contest. So. I don't think it, it moved the dial uh, for anybody. I thought they were all pretty good in it. I, I thought, I mean, I watched it after the fact. I wasn't home, so I had to watch it later. So, I, you know, I wasn't involved in the whole, you know, the Twitter excitement that, that these debates for people like us uh, are. So I don't know what the feeling was at the time, but mm-hmm. watching it just as objectively as I could, I felt that they all did uh, that they all did what they each probably set out to do, which mm-hmm. is try to solidify their base and make some, uh, especially since they're pretty much, you know, they're all tied. And I mean, well, Clinton and Sanders are tied in, in Iowa or close enough that basically they wanted to get their people solidified and then just try and grab a few more <laughs> from wherever they could find them. Uh, so, uh, you know, I felt like they both they they did pretty well. And I thought O'Malley did pretty well in that one. There's, he was actually more kind of persuasive and appealing than I thought. Um, so, you know, these are... <laughs> You know, from the Democratic side, it's been a much, much different race. It's like watching two different countries have their elections right now. So you watch the Democratic side, and I'm watching, I don't know, Canada or something. And on the on the Republican side, I'm watching, you know, some some banana republic in 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 Africa. Yeah. Um, And so it's a very it's kind of disorienting, really, to kind of kind of watch the two things unfold. And it's it's a little bit strange. I don't think I've ever ever seen anything. I, I've never felt that way, particularly about the two parties being so dramatic. I mean, they're dramatically different policy-wise, but stylistically, they seem to have veered off into completely different directions. So, the the Democratic debate, the forum. I think it got. I don't know what it was. Something like three point two million uh, people watching, which mm-hmm. was very high for a town hall. Right. Which they never garner very very high. Mm-hmm. Um, well, ratings as compared to debates. But, you know, it was pretty good. And I think plenty of people that needed to see it, they saw it. And, you know, that's jo- that. On we go. John Amato, there's uh, been uh, this debate debate going on about an added and additional uh, Democratic debate, uh, uh, possibly after Iowa and before New Hampshire. Uh, now, all of a sudden, uh, Hillary Clinton, well, we knew Martin O'Malley would, would, would like the idea. Hillary Clinton says she'll go for it as long as uh, the other candidates do. But Bernie is sort of the holdout here, unless something has changed uh, over the past few hours. He's been saying, no, I, uh, uh, I, I will do it, but only if we add even more debates down the road rather than go in this ad hoc fashion. So uh, your thoughts on this, the possibility of this unsanctioned uh, uh, debate next week uh, that New Hampshire uh, union leader and MSNBC are, are hoping to hold? Will that happen? And, and does Bernie look, uh, you know, I, I, I was surprised when he said, no, I'm, I'm not going to do it. Uh, and then he added these other conditions. I, I, I'm surprised about that. Your thoughts on that, John? Well, I mean, I imagine he's just trying to, you know, jockey for a better, what he believes is a better position for his own candidacy. Um, And hopefully that they all will agree to it, because um, like a lot of Democrats have been very unhappy with with D.W. Sweets there. 
um, our head of our DNC. It would be w, w, uh, w. Wasserman Schultz <laughs> you're that, talking about. Yeah. Um, you know, as far as scheduling debates on Saturday nights and, you know, on Sundays mm-hmm. and the amount of debates, it's, it, you know, as a, as a Democrat, especially in this cycle, um, I believe as well as, you know, many people believe that we have the right policies that the American people need to hear on a grand scale. And to bury them, um, to me, was just, it, it hurts, hurts the Democratic Party in general. So um, I would like to see, and I hope it goes through, and I think it would actually be on a Thursday, if I'm not mistaken. That would be, uh, the one that they're calling for would be on a Thursday, and one of Sanders' uh, requirements would be that these other, that debate, and I think four others, that they be added not on Fridays, not on weekends, not, and not on holidays, uh, so that the American people can actually see them. Yeah, it, 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 that makes sense. But, you know, right now, I'll just focus on the one, you know, that, you know, Bernie has his reasons. It, uh, you know, he's obviously just not winging it why he wants to have three or four or five more. Um, and that's up to his campaign. And ultimately, um, if the other candidates say no, then it'll be up to him to say, well, okay, well, let's do this Thursday one, and maybe we'll do, you know, more down the future. But, again, after, you know, I love covering the, the Republican primaries it's a joy to behold <laughs> so well let's get on to that joy uh those two debates yesterday you had at the kitty table and i accidentally wrote down here kidding table but maybe that's more <laughs> uh at the kitty table you had uh, former uh pennsylvania senator rick santorum former arkansas governor and fox news host mike huckabee failed businesswoman carly fiorina and some guy named jim gilmore who is actually the former uh virginia governor uh, they were at the kitty table. The main debate, you had Cruz, Rubio, Paul, Christie, Kasich, Bush, Ben Carson, uh, but not, of course, uh, the GOP frontrunner, Donald Trump. David Korn of Mother Jones tweeted uh, just before the debates. He said, on Fox, we go from the kiddies table to the adolescents table. Dad <laughs> is busy elsewhere. Uh, which brings us to where Dad was busy over at this veterans event. Now, were uh, were you guys able to watch? It was not easy to try to watch both at the same time. Uh, well, actually, it, just for those people who didn't or couldn't or didn't want to, let me play a little bit uh, from that. Well, just a, a quick clip. Which one is this? Um, uh, here we go. Uh, number seventeen. So this is the uh, uh, clip. Donald Trump claimed to be holding a fundraiser for veterans here. Uh, it was slapped together in about 24 hours and more than a veterans uh, fund, more than a, an actual fundraiser, you know, where people show up and give money. He basically called some of his friends and uh, asked them to give him money like he was on The Apprentice, like it was one of those events on The Apprentice. He didn't talk much about veterans. Nobody has any idea which veterans that money will actually go to. But uh, when he did talk about veterans or the military, it kind of sounded like his usual stump speech. Uh, here's a here's an example. We have to make our military so strong, so big, so powerful that nobody messes with us. We're never going to have to use it. We want nobody, nobody to mess with us. I see our generals, they're always on talk shows. They're retiring, or even when they're not, they're talking about where the enemy is, how the... I don't want generals to talk. We want generals. We want people that are going to keep us safe. We are a country that doesn't win anymore. We don't win anymore. When was the last time we won? We don't win on trade. 
We don't win in the military. We don't beat ISIS. We don't do anything. We're not good. Heather, uh, what what are we uh, what are we to make of this spectacle? And I don't know how much of this you got to watch. I had to watch it late, late last night because I watched the whole debate and then I watched this. What do we make of this uh, crazy spectacle? We can talk about how it affects the horse race, but your thoughts. Help well, me out here. You know, I, I did. I managed to, to watch both of them, uh, but I've seen a lot of Trump uh, events. Those of us who live here in L.A., as we all do, um, get. OAN, I, uh, most of us, I think, get on our cable networks, which runs every Donald Trump rally, mm-hmm. and of course C-SPAN. Um, so I've seen a, a boatload of them, and they're all exactly the same. Mm-hmm. I mean, he mixes it up a little bit, um, but for the most part, that's that's his stump speech that he gave that you just that you just played the clip of. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, I was a little surprised by that, to be honest, because I thought he understood that he was putting on, he was counter-programming and that he probably needed to do something a little bit different. Uh, maybe he just didn't have time, but, you know, he's the master showman. I thought he'd put on a better show. So I was a little bit, I was a little bit surprised. He did do something very interesting, though. And this goes to something we've talked about before on, on this show, which is that Trump has, has very masterfully learned to do something that none of the other Republicans have done or had the nerve to do. And that is he plays the networks off of each other. And he does it very, very masterfully. He knows... Um, Zucker on on NBC, the the chairman there, he knows Roger Ailes. He has been from the very beginning threatening to not show up at debates, not go on Fox, not do this. And and, and it creates news because news people like to talk about themselves, right? So this becomes a big story all in in itself. And he did this really, really well on this one. Now, he didn't want to do the debate. And and it's partially for the same reason that Bernie doesn't want to do the debate in New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. This is politics. If you're head... Debating is risky, so you know why do it? Mm-hmm. I, why why take the chance? It was the same reason why Clinton didn't want to do debates before when she was ahead in New Hampshire, because you know why take why take the risk? I mean yep. that's just an old-fashioned truism about politics. Nobody's being high-minded or anything here. It's just right. the way it is, and I think that plays into Trump's calculation there too. The other part is I don't think he likes debates. He doesn't do very well in them. He, he says he does, but he doesn't. He looks a little bit. He looks a little bit diminished, I think, in, in those debates, and it makes him look a little bit shallow, even though God knows the seven dwarfs that surround him are hardly what you'd call, you know, that's not a group of Winston Churchills and Abraham Lincolns. But nonetheless, by comparison, he ends up looking a little bit less of a, of a, of a you know, gigantic figure when he's among them. So I could see why he wouldn't want to do it, and he had the chance to back down because of this, you know, trumped up, <laughs> pardon the pun, yeah. feud with... Megan Kelly. And well, he ended up doing something, I think the point of it was, though, underneath it all, was to show that he would stand up to anybody, including Roger Ailes, which in Republican circles, that is a really big thing. There yeah. are no Republican, I mean, John can speak to this, there are no Republican uh, politicians who would dare to, to go up against that guy. I mean, he runs he, he is one of the most powerful institutions in the Republican Party, and to go up against him would have been a very considered suicide mm-hmm. until Trump did it. So, you know, a lot of this is part of his, his way of showing his strength. He said to his audience when he decided not to do it, he was at a different rally the night before, he said, I, 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 they will not toy with me is how he put it. And mm-hmm. the audience just roared, yeah, you know. They didn't even realize. They were, they were you know, he was talking about Fox, <laughs> their <laughs> flagship. <laughs> you know, 
whatever. It didn't matter. It's just that's his that's his affect. So you know, this was a very very another example of ways that that Trump has turned this entire thing into his own kind of reality show and been able to manipulate the news in ways that I think benefit him, even though I, he didn't get very good ratings last night. I don't think MSNBC and CNN did very well compared to the debate. The debate did, what was it, 12 million people? Yeah, but I bet But I bet they're all talking about it today. I bet you they're bet. all showing clips from it today. We're talking about it before we've even gotten into the actual debate. That's what we're talking yeah, about. He dominates the news cycle uh, over yep. and over and over again, and this is where his real brilliance is. And in the process of that, he's showing his followers, who appear to represent about half the Democrat, the Republican Party at this point, he's showing his followers, he's doing these little um, demonstrations of his strength against the American political institutions, and, particularly their own. And that seems to really give them a major thrill. They and, like that a lot. And, and, and that's what it seems so much of the Republican uh, Party is now about and the, the race for uh, the nomination. Uh, frankly, who is the most manly? Yeah. And that includes uh, even Carly Fiorina oh. trying to be the most manly. i got to get to a break here, but let me ask very quickly. You follow you follow Fox News over at uh, Crooks and Liars as closely as anyone over the years. This is not unusual for them to put out these uh, snarky press releases uh, from a, you know, a supposed news outlet. But were they hoisted on their own petard here? Did they fall right into Donald Trump's trap by putting out that snarky statement about, you know, secret meetings? What did they say with, with, with the Ayatollah and Putin uh, and, and just trying to make right, uh, Trump look stupid? Yeah. Be his cabinet. yeah. Well, you know, you know, definitely. Um, and there's reports. You know that it was Roger Ailes who wrote the tweet, um, and because before that that tweet came out, you know Trump was making noise like he wasn't going to show because they're treating me bad and I'm not going. And then suddenly, the only reason why he refused to go to the debate was that tweet, right? Right. Well, that tweet didn't happen on Monday, so you know they Fox obviously played right into his hands, and I was kind of surprised because. Because Fox News, you know, they go around and their whole selling point is being fair and balanced. We're really not a conservative outfit. We're just so much fairer than everybody else. We're giving conservatives an equal footing. You know, and, um, and I know that, that Heather gets these emails, too, from Alex Castellanos. Uh, Re- Republican uh, consultant. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, a big, yeah, he's, you know, he's a big-time Republican right. consultant. And he talked about what Trump was doing, and he wrote, what is the most powerful Republican institution in contemporary American politics? Most of us would admit it's not the RNC, right? Mm-hmm. Not the American enterprise. It's Fox News. Yep. Primarily, Fox is a political platform. It is the Republican Party in the electronic world. And for Trump to, to basically go after them, really unique and and by the way all, you know and they never i've never seen them go after another candidate like that i remember no, actually they, not not after another republican candidate like right, that right. Well, exactly. yeah. and and i mean ben carson is a fox news candidate um he i mean you know what, what why is ben carson running because he you know he attacked obama at some prayer breakfast and then after that he was on fox news you know every other day mm-hmm. Um, that that so he's a you know a Fox News candidate. Although you wouldn't realize it at these debates. Now I, I have to tell you, I do love in the debates when when he finally gets a question, it's like he's startled awake. Yes. 
Yes. <laughs> and, and he and he had and I, I do got to get to a break, but he was particularly uh, hilarious last night at two different points. Uh, one when he said uh, when he called Putin a one horse country. <laughs> And then he's and then he just said the word oil just out of nowhere. And then he said uh, that seventy five percent of Americans live by coastally. And I don't think that's exactly the word that he meant to use, but uh, but that's what he said. It was kind of funny whenever he rang in. All right, let me get to a break. We'll come back in. We'll get to the debate proper with my all-star uh, superstar, st- superstar best ever guest panel in the whole wide world, Heather Digby-Parton of Salon, John Amato of Crooks and Liars, and, of course, Desi Doyen and myself, Brad Friedman from the Bradcast. Don't touch that dial. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. I believe the world is a safer and a better place when America is the strongest power in the world. And I believe only with a strong America will we defeat this radical group, this apocalyptic group called ISIS. That's why when I'm president, we are going to rebuild our intelligence capabilities, and they're going to tell us where the terrorists are. And a rebuilt U.S. military is going to destroy these terrorists. And if we capture any of these ISIS killers alive, they are going to Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. And we're going to find out everything they know. Because when I'm president, unlike Barack Obama, we will keep this country safe. I think Bernie Sanders is a good candidate for president of Sweden. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com here uh, with our all uh, Sweden bumper music, uh, ABBA, and uh, the uh, the dancing queen, Marco Rubio, there, who is just terrified of everything. By the way, uh, when it comes to Sweden, life expectancy uh, up in Sweden is tied for ninth, whereas here in the U.S., we are tied for 34th in the world. So, uh, yeah, we could be a little bit more like Sweden and do just fine. Uh, my guests, we're talking, of course, about our uh, the, the final uh, GOP debate before the Iowa caucuses Monday with my guests, Heather Digby-Parton of Salon, John Amato of Crooks and Liars. Okay, guys, welcome back. I want to, um, uh, as usual, we'll talk about Trump's absence in a second, but as usual at these debates, I think this was even ramped up more than ever last night. These guys are such cowards, frankly. They are really, I don't know, at least they pretend to be. I think we reached peak scared to death last night with these people. Let me give you just a quick montage, and then I'll get your your responses to them. Quick montage of of really all of the candidates doing what they do best. I'm a maniac. This apocalyptic group called ISIS. The American people are terrified. So we're going to start with terror. 
I will fight terrorism, go after ISIS, hunt them down, and utterly and completely destroy ISIS. ISIS is the most dangerous jihadist group in the history of mankind. Keep this country safe. ISIS, Islamic terrorism all across this country. ISIS, terror issues for safety issues. The larger and more powerful ISIS. People are worried. They blow people up. There has never been a jihadist group like this in the history of the world. Keep America safe. The radical threat that we now face from ISIS is extraordinary and unprecedented. ISIS, we need to stop allowing political correctness because it's going to kill us if we don't. It's been a disaster. Keep ISIS out of America. War on the Islamic State. That would be a disaster for this country. September 11th. Hold America hostage. Terrorism in this country scares everyone. Our country's in crisis. Kill the terrorists. No one will keep this country safer than I will. Jesus Christ. I, so, John Amato, uh, how much of this is really about scaring people in order to get votes? And how much of this is because these people have really scared themselves at this point? Are, are, are they really scared or do they know they're full of it? Well, you know, I, I, it sounds to me, you know, Rubio... You know, believes ISIS is trying to earn a path to citizenship. That's what it sounded like. Yes. Um, you know, it, it. You know, to be honest with you, I think in this debate, and I don't know, because I was I was watching debate, then I was cutting videos, you know, for the website. Um, it, it seemed like it was a little less ISIS talk than the last debate. I, I'm, I could be wrong, but but um, but the idea, it, it's really, you know, that it's really sad. You know, from the beginning, the Republicans, and, I, and I, I believe this is true, which is they wanted this to be a foreign policy debate because what else could they really talk about? Um, you know, the, everything sort of improved. You know, millions more people have health care. The economy, while not the greatest for, for average Americans, has improved dramatically since Obama took office. So the only thing they could do is, is hope for terrorist attacks around the world and then just call Obama a weakling and scare people. I mean, the idea, so, you know, it, it is a sad thing to do where you have to run on fear. Um, and by the way, I, I don't, did, was it ISIS that flew two planes into the Twin Towers? No, it wasn't. And by the way, since Al-Qaeda flew those planes into the towers in the 15 years since, just over the past weekend alone, Extreme weather in the U.S. has killed more Americans than all of the uh, Islamic terrorists combined since 9-11 in the past 15 years. Nicholas uh, Kristof over at The New York Times pointed out, uh, after Marco Rubio had said that the threat from ISIS is unprecedented, uh, he said, really? Worse than World War II? Worse than the British burning the White House in the War of 1812? Heather Parton, your thoughts on this? Well, this is... You know, they've been doing this ever since 9-11 to some degree or another. This, this idea that, I used to write about this, I think they, they are, they are, they're portraying this as if it's the war of the world. Not, not ISIS, not, not even the Nazis. These are Martians. And they are really, really powerful Martians. And they are so strong that we must all just run around, you know, with throw our aprons over our heads and run around in circles screaming because it's just so incredibly frightening. And, you know, this is, they have been using this uh, ever since then. And it kind of waxes and wanes with, you know, whatever other things happen to be coming along. But this fear factor really does seem to be a big motivator on the right. And, 
I don't think it's really fear of ISIS. It's fear of the other. The, you know, whether mm-hmm. it's immigrants or whether or not it's, you know, Ferguson protesters or whether or not it's uh, Muslims, you know, coming to the country, ISIS, whatever. I mean, this is just this overwhelming fear on the part of a particular part of the Republican base that, you know, that they're coming to get them, they, whoever that is. And they, these guys are really exploiting it heavily this time. And I think Trump especially has found um, the, the sort of, you know, Rosetta Stone for getting to these people by just going, there's no more dog whistling, because dog whistling is politically correct, right? Mm, I mean, that yeah. means that you're actually kind of trying to hide the fact that you're a racist and a bigot, and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, um, and, and, uh, and a white nationalist, basically, which is what we're talking about here, is white nationalism. And, and he just kind of unlocked all that. And so now, it, and, and it's fed into the regular, uh, you know, to the rest of these candidates as well. They have no choice. I mean, they're having to compete for those votes. And they are doing that. Now, what I hear from reporters, and you read this all over the place, all these reporters are now fanned out in Iowa interviewing every last Iowan. And <laughs> all the Republicans, seriously, every the single one of them. Yeah, all of them. <laughs> and um, they are all, all the Republicans, are, what they're saying is it's fear, 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 fear. They're, they're mm-hmm. actually saying this up front, that they are tremendously afraid. And there's a part of me that thinks, Aside from the ongoing sense that white America is no longer dominant and they feel like they're under siege and they're blaming the wrong people and blah, blah. You know, we've had this discussion a million times, right-wing populism. There's a little bit of this that's like, you know, and John should be able to speak to this, the thrill of a horror movie. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They're having fun with being scared. also brings that out in them, and I think that's part of this. And, and I was going to ask, you know, is there anything that uh, the media can do to counter this absurd narrative where, the you know, it, these, these Martians are coming to destroy us all, as, as you put it, Heather? Uh, but, you know, and, and, you know, underscore the fact that more people die from gun violence, cancer, automobile accidents, and, yes, extreme weather, et cetera, et cetera. And yet the fact is, uh, John Amato, the, the media has no interest in correcting this narrative, do they? I mean, they also no. fear also works for them as well as it does for the Republican Party. Absolutely. I mean, they're just interested in covering the horse race. They're not interested in covering, for the most part, what each candidate is saying. I mean, you know, how many segments do you see on fact-checking all these candidates? Um, and you, you rarely see it. Uh, you know, obviously you'll see it on one segment on an hour of a CNN show or an MSNBC show or the Washington Post or PolitiFact. They're not interested in that because they're going for ratings. Yeah. So for them, you know, they wouldn't be covering Trump as much as they are unless it wasn't profitable for them. And That's just the bottom line. And that was Trump's calculation for not going to the debate. And, you know, he can now, you know, say on his high horse that, yes, he crashed Fox News's uh, rating. And and I think, you know, aside from crashing the ratings, he might have uh, crashed both Ted Cruz and Marco yeah. Rubio, who got a lot more time than they, they usually get in the spotlight. And I don't know if they wore it well. I'd like to get your thoughts on this. Let's uh, let me play this. Uh, this is sort of uh, a Ted Cruz out of the box. I think he was happy, you know, to 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 be the uh, king of the hill at the debate last night until they actually started the debate and he realized, oh, no, I'm the king of the hill at this point. Chris, I would note that the last four questions had been Rand, please attack Ted. Marco, please attack Ted. Chris, please attack Ted. Jeb, please attack Ted. Let me just say this. It is a debate, sir. 
Uh, well, no, no, a debate actually is a policy issue, but I will say this, gosh, if, if you guys say, ask one more mean question, I may have to leave the stage. So he sort of tried to save himself there with a Trump joke at the end, but uh, Digby, he got booed right off the bat at this debate. <laughs> well, you know, it's tough being, being the man, isn't it? Yeah, I, I kind of so. felt sorry for Cruz in a way. I mean, I shouldn't because he is, you know, and <laughs> he's an evil incubus. Um, but I, I, I did feel a little <laughs> bit sorry for him because without Trump there, you know, somebody had to be the, the target. And it was pretty clear to me that Fox had decided themselves had mm-hmm. decided that he was he was going to be on the hot seat. They were going to pressure him. They were, he was the only one that they put up a montage of his uh, obfuscations on, on an issue and made him answer to it. So you know, I, I felt a little sorry for him. But the, I mean, this is you know, he is the, the the guy that they these the rest of that pack, the seven dwarves there, the other six have to take him down. I mean, that's it looks like Trump is fairly invulnerable, uh, at least in, in terms of the, for the early states. We'll see what happens. But he, he appears to be the guy who's the real front-runner. There's no, no doubting it. Ted's in second place, um, maybe even in first place. So, I mean, it was legitimate for them to go after him. And he just, you know, look, Ted Cruz is like Richard Nixon, right? I mean, he's very smart. He's very hardworking. He is extremely manipulative. But he's got the personality of a doorknob. I mean, the guy is just not is not a very natural, easygoing person. And there are politicians who who can get beyond that. At Richard Nixon being one of them. I mean, he won, you know, two presidential elections and came very close to winning a third one, the one that he lost well, to Kennedy. So it's possible to do it. But he's got a high, especially in this showbiz you know, style that we're in now, he has got a very high bar to, to reach, and I just don't think he did it last night. Well, I was going to say Ted Cruz is kind of like uh, uh, Richard Nixon, except without all the warmth and charm. But um, I, I think actually having him there uh, last night, it occurred to me that he was kind of like, without Trump there, Ted Cruz is sort of like the uh, the Republican flavor of the month that we had seen in in the the 2012 election. In other words, if Trump was not there, Cruz might be on top for a week or two. But once he had the spotlight, I think he would have plummeted the way Ben Carson has after he was on top, etc. Uh, Des, you had a thought on this? Desi well, yeah, I think it has to do a lot with that. This this campaign really is different. This election season really is different. It's the show businessification, as Heather mentioned. That you know, with with Cruz especially, I don't think we would ever have seen Richard Nixon be asked by a debate monitor, moderator, "Hey, nobody likes you." <laughs> What do you have to say about that? That's I mean, he didn't true. say it that bluntly, yeah. but that's essentially what Chris Wallace asked him. How do you how do you get by with that? Was this? Yeah, he also he he mentioned uh, Steve King about fifteen or twenty times. I At think least yeah. King's name was mentioned more than ISIS. Uh, well, can I just say one thing about yeah. Cruz too before we move on? He he is a the quintessential conservative movement candidate. There is no he's been preparing for this since he was ten years old, and I mean that literally. He has yeah. been. He has he checks off every box and then some. He's done it everything right, everything right, including going to Washington D.C., making a fool out of himself, making himself the enemy of everybody in the Republican Party. On beha- he thought on behalf of this conservative movement that would have his back, and guess what? 
Donald Trump marches in, and they love him just as much. <laughs> in yeah. fact, they don't care about any of that. that they must don't kill care him. about idea. It must kill him. He did everything they said they wanted, and here he is fighting for his life, and may very well not get out of Iowa alive. Certainly, he's not. You know, that New Hampshire looks like a like a tough climb. Yeah, I think he's so, not even close know, in New Hampshire. Yeah, Let- I mean, this guy, this guy is a living proof. That from these folks, you know, this whole idea that they just care about ideology and they just want you to go in there and fight for them in D.C., it's all nonsense. Well, it that was, is absolutely. not what drives them. No, I agree. And if I, yeah, I mean, yeah, when you look at what's very interesting, because Cruz, you know, really climbed suddenly in Iowa, and it wasn't until Donald Trump went full-on birther on Cruz yep. that that started to turn. And it's really, like today, you know, Trump said he's a Canadian anchor baby. Yeah, and, <laughs> and and I mean it's it's really quite amazing, you know. As, as Heather was saying, how this guy's been preparing his whole life. I mean, you know, he'll take the support of uh, you know you know anybody from the religious right. Just these really crank, these cranks, um, yeah. and and the fact that you know he's getting smeared as being you know a Canadian citizen, and that's drove his polling numbers down. It's really amazing. The uh, it, it, there was the uh, quintess as as Heather put it, the quintessential. There was a quintessential conservative candidate off uh, last night between uh, Rubio and Cruz, as they are both vying to be the anti-Trump. But uh, they went at each other, and it just became this bizarre thing about amnesty, immigration. It brought booze to Rubio as well. Here, here's a bit of that exchange. This is the lie that Ted's campaign is built on, and Rand touched upon it, that he's the most conservative guy and everyone else is a, you know, everyone else is a rhino. The truth is, Ted, throughout this campaign, you've been willing to say or do anything in order to get votes. Ted, you work for George W. Bush's campaigns. You vote, you work, you helped design George W. Bush's, you helped design George W. Bush's immigration policy. You did an interview with CBS News that wasn't even part of the video where you said on the issue of people that are here illegally, we can reach a compromise. And then in the committee you said, I want to bring people out of the shadows. Now you want to trump Trump on immigration. But you can't, we're not going to beat Hillary Clinton with someone who's willing to say or do anything to win an election. Go ahead, Senator Cruz. You know, I like Marco. He's very charming. He's very smooth. But the facts are simple. When he ran for election in the state of Florida, he told the people of Florida, if you elect me, I will lead the fight against amnesty. When I ran in Texas, I told the people of Texas, if you elect me, I will lead the fight against amnesty. We both made the identical promises. But when we came to Washington, we made a different choice. Marco made the choice to go the direction of the major donors to support amnesty because he thought it was politically advantageous. I honored my commitments, and as president, I will honor every commitment that I make to the men and women of this country. I, I got to get to a break here, uh, guys. But uh, very so very very quickly, John Amato, is there a dime's worth of difference between these? Uh, this is there any daylight at all in this am, uh, amnesty immigration quibble that seemed to go on and on forever in the GOP debate last night? Yeah, really, not much. You know, I was laughing when I, I turned on CNN, and I forget if her name was Navarro or I think she's a Bush supporter, and she was trying to say Anna Navarro. I mean, she was trying to say what a substantive debate this was, you know, without Trump. <laughs> they really talked about issues, and really all they did was discuss, you know, the process, you know, of how yeah. legislation is made, and, and this, the subtle difference is that they just both flip-flopped and did different things at different times. That's not, that's not talking about substance. And uh, so, yeah, there's, 
you know, it's it's just like who who flip flopped on immigration first? You know, who's not who's not the biggest xenophobe? Well, I'm a bigger xenophobe than you. No, you're not. You know, but it's it's really it's enlightening, and just to see how far the Republican Party has sunk. Because remember that big RNC draft about what they had to do to change, and that they you know as far as the autopsy. And yeah. after they lost, and you know what, they needed to reach out to minorities, to Latinos. They've to completely women. thrown that overboard. They don't care anymore. They don't care that uh, they're ticking off, you know, the majority of the the electorate, and that the things they do bother to talk about are, by and large, irrelevant to reality, at least, and and even more irrelevant, I think, when Donald Trump is not around on the stage. Uh, i got to get to a break. Hang on. Hold, hold your thoughts, guys. And you know what? I am going to try, because there has been a lot of commentary about, oh, this was substantive without Donald Trump there. Nonsense. It was just as silly as ever, but I might have found a couple of substantive points maybe a little bit from some of the other candidates and that I'm going to try to get to when we come back from this break. Uh, sit tight, guys. Uh, Heather Digby-Parton and John Amato and Desi Doyen, stay there. I'll be right back after this uh, important break. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. <laughs> My whole life I've been greedy, greedy, greedy. I've grabbed all the money I could get. I'm so greedy. But now I want to be greedy for the United States. I want to grab all that money. I'm going to be greedy for the United States. Oh, brother. Welcome back to our All Sweden edition of the broadcast. All time, uh, all the bumper music today is courtesy of ABBA, in tribute to Bernie Sanders, of course. Uh, all right, well, our last few minutes here uh, with our GOP uh, debate coverage with Heather Digby-Parton and John Amato. Let me play a couple of quick, uh, quick clips and we'll fly through them and get your thoughts. Uh, here was uh, Jeb Bush talking about uh, Veterans Affairs, clip number nine. I will make sure that we fire the sheer incompetence inside the Department of Veterans Affairs and that we'll give veterans a choice card so that they don't have to travel hours and hours to get care if they want to go to their private provider. You want to make the Veterans administration do a better job give them give veterans choices and you'll get a much better result all right decode that for us heather what's he talking about there talking about a voucher yeah <laughs> i think he's talking vouchers which is their answer for everything right i well, mean and to be clear it's pri- privatizing the yeah. va yeah i mean they, they really believe i you know i, I mean I, I don't mean to digress to a different person because jeb <laughs> we haven't given jeb enough attention i don't think but but Cruz <laughs> nobody also has said this thing where where i know it's poor jeb uh, Chris said a similar thing, where he thinks that his his health care plan is to let everyone own their own insurance. Like that's something we really want. You know? Wow! I can I can own my own insurance now. That meant my employer won't have anything to do with it. Golly, and won't have anything to do with paying for it either. I'm sure. Power patients, right? Yeah. So this is yeah. It's more of this. They're they're privatizing and choice and all that stuff. I mean, it's it's so typical. And Jeb was. Full of this stuff last night. I mean, he was rattling off some stuff and, and talk about going full neocon. He even said at one point, "We're going to get the get the lawyers and keep their to keep their hands off the military." Uh, I'm I'm guessing, and maybe I'm wrong. There, he was talking about ISIS and the Middle East and various you know battle plans and what have you. And torture. I'm thinking he's yeah. I'm thinking he's talking torture and war crimes. I mean, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure that's what we're talking about. He is a Bush. 
So, you know, it stands to reason that he would, this is part of the family legacy. But this is, you know, Mr. Mild-mannered, you know, Mr. Rogers of this, well, no, Carson is Mr. Rogers, but, you know, he, this guy is, is the, the science teacher uh, in this, in this uh, array of candidates that they had up there, and he's talking about, you know, endorsing war crimes. Get the lawyers out of it. We, we, war, our, we're fighting our wars uh, with political correctness. That's a big thing and among these guys. Let that, me, you know, they're too politically correct. Let me run this uh, from Ohio Governor John Kasich, and John Amato, I'll get your thoughts on this. Uh, talking, he was asked about encryption uh, and, you know, and whether we need to, uh, I guess, make it illegal to use encrypted software in this country, or at least uh, when we do use it, give the, uh, give the key to the FBI so they can de-encrypt it. You appear to back uh, in another debate, a so-called backdoor to encrypted uh, cell phone technology. Now, the tech companies and a group of MIT scientists, smart guys, right, warned that if they create a way for the FBI to have a backdoor into our encrypted communications, then the bad guys will exploit it, too. And they say that this is going to cause more security problems than it would solve for everyday Americans. Are they wrong? Well, look, joint, the joint terrorism task forces need resources and they need tools. And, Megan, it's best not to talk anymore about backdoors and encryption. It'll get solved, but it needs to be solved in the situation room of the White House with the technology this folks. This is public testimony. But, yeah, but I, I just have to tell you that it's best with some of these things not be said. Man, that, that's a <laughs> That's a legitimate, I mean, it's a legitimate issue, this one, to talk about. But John Kasich, but let's not talk about it. Let's keep it all secret. Your thoughts, John Amato? Well, you know, the terrorists were watching, and, and they realized <laughs> that they might, you know, figure out the secrets of the encryption code, because what Kasich was saying was actually the, the, the code that was used so that the FBI could hack into all our stuff. It's, it's ridiculous. It's stupid. I mean... You know, again, don't these guys watch any TV shows? They should put on person of interest. But um, see what happens with backdoors into software. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, I don't know what he was talking about. I, I just didn't think he probably understood the question well enough. No, I so, think actually I think that he did. I think that he knows that there there is this debate about encryption, uh, and, and you know the problem is that experts will tell you. We've had him on this show. You know, we'll tell you if you give the key away, uh, if you make a key available to decrypt this stuff, uh, you know, to the FBI, that indeed the bad guys will be able to decrypt it, and so you 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 screw up the whole thing. Uh, you make it impossible to do things like online banking and everything else. Um, but uh, let me let me uh, let me move through this. Uh, here's uh, well on the NSA phone records. Here was Rand Paul, who, by the way, is suddenly starting to sound more like the old Rand Paul and less mm -hmm. like the neocon Rand Paul. It seems to me. Uh, but in any event, here here he is talking about uh, the NSA uh, bulk collection. The bulk collection of your phone data, the invasion of your privacy, did not stop one terrorist attack. I don't think you have to give up your liberty for a false sense of security. When we look at this bulk collection, the court has looked at this. Even the court declared it to be illegal. If we want to collect the records of terrorists, let's do it the old-fashioned way. Let's use the Fourth Amendment. Let's put a name on a warrant. Let's ask a judge for it. Let's respect the history of our country. John Adams said that we fought the war for independence because we wanted to fight against generalized warrants. Let's don't forget that. Uh, too little, too late. I got very little time here, uh, Heather, but uh, your thoughts. Uh, too little, too late from Rand Paul? Well, it is, um, you know, but welcome back. <laughs> Glad to see you, Rand. Um, but, yeah, he's been, 
he's been absent from a lot of this stuff during this campaign, but I think he realizes now that, you know, Donald Trump is an ultimate authoritarian and they love him for it. So I think he's realizing that he's uh, his constituency is vanishingly small. Okay, and very yeah, and real quick yeah. on Rand, I mean, because he, he's crossed over from being a libertarian to being, you know, a right-wing, pro-life, like, life at conception guy, and his answer about abortion was just so perplexing, where he said he supported the state's right, each state to handle the abortion issue, right? But then he turns around and says that he proposed a federal legislation, that Life at Conception Act. So... It's like, I don't, you know, he's straddling both fences on that issue, and that's one of the reasons why he's, he's not a credible candidate anymore. Uh, yeah, Ron Paul uh, would have never made, well, actually, I was going to say he would have never made those mistakes, but even Ron Paul, when it came to abortion, was yep. decidedly not libertarian. Uh, very quickly, around the table, uh, you got uh, two seconds each to, uh, <laughs> to respond to this in CNN style, so you are completely welcome to get this completely wrong. Uh, who who wins on uh, on Monday on the Republican side and on the Democratic side? Desi Doyen, you go first. Actually, I think Marco Rubio might do really well. Win? He's going to win Maybe. in Iowa and yeah. on the Democratic side. Talking winning, no hedging here. She's hedging, uh, and on the Democratic side, very quickly. Um, I think that it'll be Bernie. You can be totally wrong. Like I I'm going to be totally C- wrong. I don't care. Style. That's it's fine. fine. Bernie. Uh, John Amato, uh, Republican and Democratic uh, in Iowa. I think Winners. that Trump is going to win Iowa, and I think Hillary just edges out Bernie. And uh, Heather Digby-Parton, you are also welcome to be wrong CNN style. Who wins Republican and Democratic on Monday? I will definitely be wrong, but I'm going with Cruz uh, is going to pull it off in Iowa. And I think Clinton will edge it out as well. Wow. Those are both very exciting. And Um, Brad, you? Yes. Yes, Brad. Go ahead. I don't do predictions. I want to thank my guest. You coward. I I want to thank my guest today, Heather Digby Parton from Salon.com, and of course, Digby's Hullabaloo, as well as John Amato of CrooksAndLiars.com. My thanks, of course, to our producer, Desi Doy, and to our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is, as ever, greatly appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, you can download it, as ever, for free at bradblog.com or over at itunes.com. Uh, and you can and should follow me on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Brad Blog. You should follow Heather at Digby56 on the Twitters, and you should follow John Amato at John Amato on the Twitters, and of course, you should follow Desi on the Twitters at, at Re- Green News Report. At Green News Report. All right, that's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Hey,